That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome. I'm Andrew Dice. And I'm Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a podcast rewatching the movie one minute at a time and dissecting it in glorious, just reveling delight. I thought you were going to say like glorious 1080p, and I was like, that's a sound. Oh. And then <laughs> I don't <laughs> well, know why that's <laughs> date. This, yeah. In glorious component video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have reached, I think, minute 57 mm-hmm. at a just rapid clip heading towards the one hour mark. I, <laughs> it feels like just. Just yesterday, we were seeing someone call out for Martha. So let's dive right into minute 57 with someone calling Martha. How come dad never left Kansas? Oh, <laughs> you know how he was. What do I need to travel for? I'm already there. <laughs> Just wish it was more simple. My baby boy. Nothing was ever simple. Uh, you have the most interesting take. or, or not, Well, I, I won't put interesting. I won't put that pressure on you. You have. Well, I'd like you, to think it's interesting. I think it's interesting. But you <laughs> called out you called out uh, a pace shift that I think I feel when I watch the movie, but I don't necessarily acknowledge. In the way that we break this movie down by the minute, we get into the nitty gritty and are very focused on, on the one minute at a time viewing. And I think there's a lot of benefits that we've sort of revealed from that that I never picked up myself on a on a larger viewing, but going back and doing a larger review sort of after the culmination of that last minute with the the must there be a superman and everything, there's such a feeling of there's been this tension that's been building since not quite the beginning of the movie, but since since close to it since um Nairobi in Africa where Superman interferes in the desert and Lex pins the situation on him and the U.S. Special Forces or the government kind of throws him under the bus. People kind of blame him for the the fallout there. There's potential international implications uh, that that are sort of putting him at the forefront. And we get to this uh, sort of swell of the, the the music and the montage and everything about who is Superman and what does he mean and what should he be? And Finch is asked, are you saying that he shouldn't act? And she's saying, no, I'm saying he shouldn't act unilaterally, which leads Charlie Rose to ask, must there be a Superman? And she says, there is. And then it just stops. There's like a drum beat and it's just silence, cut to black, farmhouse in Kansas silence it's a very clear stop it goes from bright intense and loud contemplative to just crickets like i mean literally like you can hear crickets and it's kansas and so it's like back to clark's birthplace kind of a place you know a time before right it just really struck me how you know that's the type of thing that we'll miss sometimes if we only focus on it a minute minute to minute at a time but I feel like we're coming to the end of a, or that it marks the end of a, of an act. I think we talked about it being like a five act structure. I haven't broken it down, so I don't know if that's exactly where it falls, but it feels like maybe like part two of, of five would end there. Yeah. That silence is used for this phone call being made. 
Yeah, exactly. And it really sort of brought me back to, as I was doing that rewatch, I remember last episode you asked sort of why does Charlie Rose ask that question? It's a kind of a weird question to ask. And then Finch to say, must there be a Superman? And then for Finch to say, there is. Sort of thematically speaking, as we look at sort of moving into the next chapter of the story, I do think that's sort of the perfect phrase to use there. Because that's the point. We're ending on this sort of punctuation mark of of must there be a Superman? There mm-hmm. is. Now let's let's move beyond that. It's not a question or it's not an answer that's anything beyond we have asked the question, we are flagging this as an important topic, and yep. now now Superman's gonna call his mom to find out what she has to say about it. <laughs> yeah, I like the I like the gear change here because this taps into so much of the the human side i guess of yeah. of this character where there's a lot in this minute that i really like that i think echoes and foreshadows a lot but we are so far away from the heart of this character with with all of these people talking politics and philosophy that it it can get and I think the point is, it is so much bigger than who this guy actually is or who this person is. Ideally, one of us. You know, he he is not – they're talking about him as if he is an outsider who knows he is when the reality is he is an, both an, an outsider and not. So when you get all of this talking about the last thing in the world they are caring to talk about, because they can't, is who is the – insider part of this guy who is the part of this guy who is one of us and that is immediately what we flow into which is you know he he calls his mother we discover that martha is asleep in bed it looks like it's midnight and if that's kansas then we can assume that clark was watching news coverage even later in the night that very human question of what do you do when you are in need of answers or like he is losing a connection too, because he's being talked about now as he has been given over to the world, like his mother talked about in Man of Steel, right? That we were worried they were going to come and take you. And now for all intents and purposes, they have. He's calling her and we get just a, a fantastic moment of what is he going to say? He just says hi. Yeah. You know, you get the impression that his life has taken him on his own path. I think that there is no adult, uh, you know, who used to be a young person or child or protege of someone who can't relate in that moment of like, I want to apologize for not calling enough. You know, I know that you should whatever. Hi. And her response is, I love Diane Lane's Martha Kent from Man of Steel. And this was such a nice echo that she is still there. I know that a lot of people would want more of her in movies, but the fact that this was dealt with you know, Clark is older, has his own career. He's now making his own family piece by piece. Martha's smile says a lot there. It's a side of that relationship that I don't think we've ever seen before. You know, I cannot recommend enough that people read Superman Birthright by Mark Wade and Lionel Francis Yu, who is just the idea, you know, the presentation of Martha Kent as a UFO expert now, because that's what parents of a special child do. You know, you become the expert in that field. Yeah. And this is kind of a, a nod towards that of she is more a mom than a adopted grandmother, it almost feels like in some of the other treatments. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a scene I love and, and you know, the point where uh, we'll we'll get to it later on, but just as, aside from it, where 
Clark is in need the way that she reacts by touching the phone. You know, like she can't put her arms around her son, but she can do this. You know, she can like literally cradle the phone. It reminds you also of, especially with the way that the music and everything was swelling just a moment ago, listen to the sound of my voice, pretend it's an island. And so now we go to the island of Kansas. He needs Kansas. it, yeah. It's the, well, I mean, it's the exact same thing, right? It's It's a cloud of talking and stimuli and confusion. You can't shut it out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that what I was talking to, the the echoes and kind of foreshadowing is just like Charlie Rose's Must There Be a Superman, it might be if you're kind of just watching on a surface level. The fact that Clark says, why didn't dad ever leave Kansas can seem like a random question. Yeah. Well, he jumps right in. Like you said that he doesn't say, sorry for not calling. He just says hi. And then he just, he jumps right into, like, you know, that's, it's a burning question. And I imagine a question that he got from watching the news. I would invite people, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you enjoy comp- contemplating this stuff. The mental steps that are implied means that now that he's gone out into the world and is seeing all of this, he's thinking about his dad, his dad's opinion of the world, which seemed ignorant or cynical at, at the very least. This is going to be the people are not ready. People won't accept. People will see evil. Adding in the fact that, like, I don't get to ask my dad these questions. Like, I don't get to have any of the wisdom that he's accrued or the lessons that he might learn because I wasn't old enough when he was alive to ask them. Yeah, or I didn't. Well, because the last argument that he had with his dad was about – it was like right before the the tornado. It was, he was having a a little spat with him. He want you know he'd like to go back to um not not to right before the tornado, but, but like you even mentioned in the last episode about it's calling. It's the exact same question that he asked Pa Kent. Did he not want to see the world? Was he really that dis? You know, like he he really disliked the world so much. Was he afraid? Did he find peace? Did he? I have now gone out and seen the world, and I don't know what to make of it. Did he figure that out too? Like, why did he never? And I like the idea of implying, you know, we're creating like a son who's kind of lost because he cannot turn to his father for wisdom. Yeah. Either of his fathers. You know, I mean, Martha's answer is predictably what we would expect from Jonathan to dismiss the question. Right. Well, well, it's also a, a bit of an answer too, because you wonder how much of that is an ignorant dismissal or or truth. You know, what did he need? <laughs> From, I mean, yeah, uh, I think that later in the movie we will find out directly from him, yeah, why he never did. But I, I just, you know, she plays it off. It's a nice little Kansas, you know, American heartland saying the line. It's the line from obviously Clark saying, "I just wish things were simple." You're supposed to, right? If, if you're in Superman's corner, you this shouldn't be this complicated, right? And if you don't like seeing Superman like this, you really don't want it to be this complicated. Exactly. And I'm and I'm sure this is not a foreign conversation for his mom, but you look at the 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 father role and the mother role in Man of Steel and his mom was where he went for comfort. You know, that's the listen to the sound of my voice, pretend it's an island would kind of bring him home and and bring, and, and give him comfort. Yeah. Whereas Jonathan was the one that he would ask, so I was just supposed to let them die. You know, I just wish it were. Why isn't it more simple, Dad? Why isn't the world? And so he's got half of that, right? He can he can listen to the sound of his mom's voice, pretend it's an island, call her in the middle of the night, 
yeah and get her voice and he's got that half of his parental guidance still but he doesn't have the how do i navigate the world dad all of these people are losing the plot you know they're losing the point they're they can't understand that this guy is just normal and this is so wrong and we're clouding the point and then he says okay i'm cutting through all of this bull i'm calling my mother Kansas farmer's wife as down home and just love fueled as it can be. Mom, I just wish it could be simpler. And she says it was never simple. Even from a heart, even from a good, the reality of this situation is the questions that Clark is grappling with and this movie is grappling with are not reflecting like malicious intent or confusing the issue or anything. Even the people that are on Superman's side, just like Jonathan was in the first movie, acknowledge that there is no easy answer here. And that's something that really struck me this time. I think I always heard that line before as nothing is ever simple, which is a lot less pointed, right? Because that seems more of just like talking, that's her opinion of the world, right? Oh, nothing's, sure. nothing is that simple. And this is one of those ones where I heard it and then had to go back and turn on the subtitles and double check. And it was that moment where she says, oh, nothing was ever simple. She's talking about him. Uh, I thought she was talking about the world, but she's talking about him. She's saying, you, knowing what to do with you, knowing what to do about you, was never simple. And that's the kind of, especially being an adult now, the kind of conversations you can have with your parents that you didn't when you were a kid. You know, because mm-hmm. they would, when they're, they're, they're supposed to be the pillar of strength when you're- It was the, so much simpler when I was a kid. Is that for you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You weren't the one that was grappling with this stuff when you were five. Like, I yeah. stayed up all night afraid that they'd come and take you or that, you know, or that you would, you know, become more pow- too powerful for us to handle or, you know, you didn't have to deal with any of that anxiety because you were a kid. It was never easy for us. The the first, you know, Man of Steel, like ostensibly has the message of you have to decide what kind of man you want to be. And now it's like, no, this is actually you deciding it now. Yeah. You know, it wasn't in Man of Steel. It but wasn't just, where you got I, to save the day. When I said you're going day. to have to, I literally meant you're going to have <laughs> you're to. You're going to. It's going to be, you're not going to get to do this in a vacuum. It is he, is this healthy or is this a really bad idea? I'm not, I'm not going to answer that. Yeah. That's the point of the character. You know, if he knew, then all of a sudden that character becomes way less uh, captivating. If I could answer that for you in a sentence, then then why are we even making a movie about it? <laughs> yeah. Martha cannot, unfortunately. We move from her to Batgirl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the introduction of Jenna Malone. You can't just say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought that we'd kind of get past the uh, the lead up to this movie, which is possibly equally as insane as the fallout of this movie. Yeah, but people knew Jenna Malone was supposed to be in in the movie, and for some reason, I guess because she dyed her hair red. Yeah, or I guess because it's Jenna Malone, and so she's got a history with Snyder. Maybe they thought it would be a bigger a bigger part. And then there's a bunch of stuff that was cut from the theatrical cut, including her character entirely. And so there's just this idea that she was supposed to be Barbara Gordon. Or Carrie Kelly. Yeah, or Carrie Kelly. Yeah, they um, ended up being funny after the fact because this character is purely to serve a plot that ended up being removed from the movie entirely. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's it's an important character and I love her 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 personality in the movie as yep. well. So it's not like disposable by any means. I think this was really needed in the theatrical, but <laughs> it's just funny to have that whole like, oh, it's it's Batgirl, it's it's um it's Oracle. I think Oracle <laughs> was the rumor maybe after the trailer for the Ultimate Edition came out because you saw her it looked like she was in a wheelchair or she was on a computer, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, that was I guess for the context of what she's actually doing is she is the person in the lab that Lois has visited with the bullet that she took from Nairomi. It is now being uh, observed under microscope. And this, I guess we can say, you know, ammunitions expert is saying she's never even seen a metal like this, let alone a bullet. Officially, Jeanette Clyburn, which was a, a nod to the comics, but but in a totally surface level it is is a very cool timing that we deal with these massive philosophical implications of what this movie is capital A about in terms of philosophy and then quietly slide over to, hey, Lois is still digging up this bullet. I wonder if that's going to be important. <laughs> yeah. We end the minute with Jeanette suggesting that this could be DARPA black box or basically U.S. military experimental weaponry, which I guess at this point – the fact that she is even bringing up anything related to actual government forces is a bombshell on its own. Right. Because this is, as far as Lois knows, this is from a rebel skirmish with military contractors involved in a uh, civil war in Africa. Right. Weird that this is an advanced bullet in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. How did it, how did it end up in those, in those guns? And that's, yeah, that's, that's dug into in the next, um, in the next minute, but. For Lois to be tracking that down, this is this would be a in in her in her mind. I'm sure that there's lots of dots connecting. I think she says, well, "Where could I find out? Uh, who could find out what it is? Nobody who'd want to." Yeah. Again, that's our Lois. <laughs> I I appreciated the uh, the decor differences between Martha. Everything in Martha's house was that like that like spotted like farm. Yeah, I mean her 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 pajamas and everything was just like the little dots, and then Clark was sitting in front of the um like the square pattern on the on the curtains with the brick. It was very like strong and. On that note, Oracle, could she walk? No, we, we never. I don't walk? think we, we don't. We never see her stand. Okay, well then she is Oracle. Take it away. <laughs> um. Okay. Minute 57. I'm just going to run to the washroom if you don't mind before we do 58. That is fine. Okay. Keep recording. Please. I will do just that.